together. Thank you for this time of the year that you have granted to us to remember the birth of your Son and the beautiful mystery that is the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity to come in human flesh, to walk among us, to live as we live, and to um, to make God known uh, to us in the final statement, as it says in Hebrews, of, of who you are, the final prophetic word being the living person of Jesus, and um, that in that revelation of you through him, we see your great mercy to us, that he would live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died so that we may be raised with Him. We pray that You would again ignite in our hearts a love for Him and a love for what He loves, which is His church and the people that You have called to Yourself through the, through the finished work of the cross. That We would be about serving one another, not living as the world to use one another, but serving one another, uh, building each other up, not tearing down. And that we would reflect in doing that, Jesus, who is our great King. We want to serve Him well. So please grant us hearts to do that. And as we approach His Word this morning, we pray that Your Spirit would move in us, open our eyes, open our hearts, make us broken before You. We'd not be um, hidden behind layers of pride and arrogance, but that we would see the King as He is and be humbled by Him. We either uh, fall on the rock and are broken or we will be crushed by the rock in the end. So we pray that we would come to You willingly to be broken and rebuilt because You offer it to us by Your grace. We thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, we are in uh, Leviticus. What are the odds? Leviticus 13... Starting in verse 47, we've been going through the cleanliness code. You remember Leviticus is divided up into six different codes. Uh, and we're, we're on uh, the cleanliness code, which is more of a ritual uh, kind of code um, that deals with the, the discerning of the priesthood, what is clean, what is unclean, so that they can have fellowship with God at the tabernacle. They can have fellowship with each other, the covenant brothers and sisters, uh, being ritually clean. And these are different uh, situations that would make them unclean and God provides a way to restore them to cleanliness. And so, after discussing the defiling skin diseases over the past two weeks, as I'm sure you're all excited that we're done with that, um, the cleanliness code moves to damage that is caused to fabrics <laughs> by funguses, molds, those kinds of things. They're dangerous situations because people get easily get infected by stuff that grows in clothes. You have some kind of blight or something in a, on, on, a, on a tunic and then it could make them ritually unclean and also could cause uh, health issues. Uh, being a good Hebrew, uh, you wear your clothes everywhere, right? Bad Hebrew is probably not going to do that and they get sent out to camp for other reasons, but you wear your clothes everywhere and you rub up against people in the market 
And that's going to make people ritually unclean, unknowingly. So this is a way for um, for the, the priesthood to protect uh, that from going on. Uncleanliness in any form is not allowed in the tabernacle. And you're especially going to wear your clothes to the tabernacle. Put on your, your you know, your... Your Sabbath morning tunic, and you go to the tabernacle. If it's got blight on it, then you're polluting everyone around you. So, here it is. This is the why. Why would why would this even be? Other than just hey, the clothes are. If it's blighted, just throw it away, right? If there's a question. Just throw it away. Why would this be an issue? Can't afford to do that. Can't afford to do that. Why is that? They can't run down to Barjona Mart and get uh, get uh, just a new shirt. No, what are they got to do? They got to make it. They got to make it. All right, let's look at what this says. Verse forty-seven: When there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or a linen garment, in warp or woof of linen or wool, or in a skin or in anything made of skin. If the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the skin or in the warp or the woof or in any article made of skin, it is a case of leprous disease and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day. If the disease has spread in the garment and the warp or the woof, or in the skin, whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean. And he shall burn the garment, or the warp, or the woof, the wool, or the linen, or any article made of skin that is diseased, for it is a persistent leprous disease. It shall be burned, with fi- it shall be burned in the fire. Verse 53. And if the priest examines... And if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the warp or the woof or in any article made of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed. And if the appearance of the diseased area has not changed, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. He shall burn it in the fire whether the rod is on the back or on the front. But if the priest examines, and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment, or the skin, or the warp, or the woof. Then, if it appears again in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn it with fire, whatever has the disease. But the garment, or the warp, or the woof, or any article made of skin from which the disease departs, when you have washed it, shall then be washed a second time and be clean. This is the law for a case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, to determine whether it is clean or unclean. Okay? What strikes you? What's a wolf? There we go. I knew it was coming. What is a wolf? What is a wolf? Okay. Let's start with first, what are we dealing with? The same language is used here as we saw with the skin diseases. 
It's the same type. He calls it leprous disease, a persistent leprous disease. It's the same thing. That word uh, could also be interpreted as uh, infected spot. Why use the same terminology here? What do you think? Same thing? Okay, continuity? A general word that covers a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's true. It's The idea is the wholesomeness issue, right? Whether it's the skin or it's the fabric that you wear over the skin, the idea is it's not whole. Something's messed up. It's not the way it should be. It's infected with something. And so he uses the same language. What are the three types of clothing that we have here? We've got animal skins, right? Leather. Leather. The old Texas tunic. What else? Wool from sheep, goats. Well, I guess we'll cashmere with goats. And then you have what? Linen? What's, what's linen made from? Flax, which is plant. So you've got, you got vegetable, uh, herd animal, and game kill, right? You've got those three types of... Three types of fabrics, three types of materials that clothes are made out of. And they're going to make them from scratch. We've already talked about it. It's not easy to skin it, to tan it, to bake it with a tea. You know, you've got all these things that you've got to do to make, to size it just right. And if that stuff gets some kind of junk on it, that's expensive to replace. It's a lot of work, a lot of time that you keep spending on building your flan, your crops, other things. So they, what do you, what do they do? What's the procedure here? Take the priest. Take the priest, because the priests have the duty to what? Discern. To discern. It's the priest's duty to say, "I'm examining this based on the law. Is it clean or unclean?" And then we got to take procedures based on that. So you have this repeating thing. Warp and wolf. What does that mean? Why, yes, it is. It's the weaving. It's when you have a loom, because I know all about this. When you have a loom, you have fabric that goes vertically and fabric that goes horizontally. It's woven into. I'm looking at Tammy because I'm making sure I'm right. It's, me, it's woven into, and there's a shell that goes back and forth. The way that they, the smart folks tell me, the warp refers to the lengthwise threads when the fabric is on the loom, and the woof is the cross threads woven through the former. What does that imply? There ain't no section of that garment that's going to be left unchecked. Right? It's down to the threads. It's down to the the, in, the incremental. It has the idea of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it seems to have the idea that it's not something on the surface. Right. It's something that's in. The it's in it. It's deep. It's not just a stain you brush up against a tree and it's got a spot on it. It's it's within the fabric or within the skin or within the the wool uh, of the of the garment. It's kind of a merism, right? We talked about that before. When you when you have Old Testament stuff, a merism, head to toe. Right? Alpha and Omega. Merism means youngest to oldest. It's everybody in between. Everybody. In between. It's a whole thing. A to Z. 
Warp and woof is kind of a merism. It's the whole garment, the whole thing. Nothing is left undone. Nothing is sectioned out. Nothing is beyond review. Uh, it indicates that any part of the material can become infected and it all needs to be inspected by the priest. And what does he look for? Reddish or, Reddish or greenish marks. What in the world? So is that true to the Hebrew right. there? True to the Hebrew? Reddish and greenish. <laughs> I I don't know. I I didn't go I didn't go that deep into the language of Hebrew. I'm sorry, but it seems to me that that uh, that they're looking for some type of mildew or mold, right? You yeah. You ever have that on a shirt, by the way? No. No. You haven't lived in Houston. It's, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It gets, and they're out in in the elements. They're out in the elements. They don't have air conditioning that pulls out the you know, puts in fake air. Doesn't have the little you know, three thousand filter you know that gets everything out. True. Something was left un. Undone. Something was left I mean, um, you out. Know your garment gets wet, and you don't go through whatever to you know, help put it in a dry place. Right. Properly. Then no mothballs in the tent closet. Or you're not washing it. You're not washing it regularly. So, yeah. Well, there's a source of moisture, right? Walking in the desert, sweat. Good morning. So what's the procedure? What does he do? He looks at it. He sees reddish or greenish. What does he do? Quarantine. There's quarantine again, right? You've seen this with the skin diseases. There's a quarantine. What um, The priest examines the garment to confirm that, yeah, this looks suspicious. Something's not right here. Something doesn't appear to be whole here. Then he quarantines it for a week. And then at the end of the week, what does he look for? Has it spread? Right? And we'll see in, uh, later on that there's some other things. Maybe it hasn't spread. There's still an element that that uh, would, would indicate that it's unclean. If it's a persistent leprous disease, persistent means it's not going away. It's stuck. It's unclean. And that persistent leprous disease, the smart folks are, uh, are unhurt, uncertain how to translate that term. But it has a root um, there that has a that has a a um, that seems to mean destructive or uh, pricking like a thorn. The idea is that it's stubborn and won't go away. And the and the word is only used here and Leviticus fourteen forty four, and it's also used in Ezekiel uh, twenty eight twenty four. Let's look at that real quick. <clears throat> this is a uh, Ezekiel, of course, a prophetic work. Twenty-eight to twenty-four. The way that it's used here is interesting. Ezekiel twenty-eight twenty-four says, "And for the house of Israel, there shall be no more a briar to prick, or a thorn." to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt, then they will know that I am the Lord. 
It's the same word used there. It's the idea of, it's a, of course, a metaphor there for the contempt that they bear from their neighbors. It's the same idea. Alright, once it's deemed unclean, what happens? What happens? After, the, after he determines that it's unclean. If it's spread, then it's burned. Why not just cut out the place where it is? It's growing. <laughs> it's alive. It spreads. It's not staying contained. It's deepening in the garment. It's making the garment is now characterized by this thing that is spreading. Right? So, so burn it. Right? We don't want it infecting everything else. Alright. There are additional cases. What if it hasn't spread? After it's been quarantined, it hasn't spread. He quarantines it again, right? He wash it and quarantine it. What happens then? What is he looking for? It hasn't spread. If it's still there after it's been washed, you still got burned. You got cut out. Is it the one where they cut it out? Not yet. Not yet. You burn it again. It hasn't spread. But what's the deal? You can't get rid of it. It's, it's still there. It's persistent. Um, the garment is characterized by this stain, this mildew, this living thing that will not go away. So burn it. Alright. It doesn't matter that it is only part of the garment that's infected. The whole thing is to be burned. The terms there, back and front, I thought this was interesting, are literally the baldness and the bald forehead of the garment. And, we, and again, where did we see those terms before? Bald and bald forehead. Just before this one, right? So you see the connection, the continuity here of the terms. It's not just the body, it's also the clothing worn on the body that are at issue. What does that tell you about the procedure to be used here? It's modeled after the symptoms of human disease, right? The rot that is here, the, the word for rot here, also translated by some uh, as decayed, seems to refer to a fungal infection that has deeply penetrated the clothing. It's unclean. So what are the remaining possibilities? It's not grown, burn it. What's the other possibility we see? It's faded. What do you do there? You can cut it out. What does fading imply? Healing. It's getting cleaner. The thing didn't survive. It seems to be dying out. And then and presumably replace it with a clean material. What if the infection breaks out again? You don't, you don't quarantine it again? You've already done that. You see it again, it's alive, it's not going away, it comes back. So burn it. It's not salvaged. Yep. Are they compelled to go through this process? Or can they just be like, oh no, this is gross, and just burn it themselves? Well, I suppose. I suppose you can do with what. Yeah, I mean, the deal is if you want to salvage, if you want to save the garment, not go through the work of doing it again, this is a procedure you have to go through. That's a good question. Yeah, I think I don't think there's anything that keeps them from burning it on their own. 
No, that's only under a Democrat administration. Um, if the spot has disappeared, if the spot has disappeared, then what? You wash it again. The procedure for redeeming the garment is that it's washed again and it's clean. And then you see the passage ends with this whole reiteration of the duties of the priesthood to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. Alright. How does this relate to us? Well, yeah. There are two things I thought of how it relates back to clean and unclean with like the leprous disease on the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the obvious one to me. And then another thing that popped in my head was uh, when God's wrath is poured out on an entire city or people, most of it, you know, it's like a giant leprous disease is on them. There are a couple clean people within that he may save because he's God and he can do that, but he just burns the thing to the ground. Yeah. He burns the whole city down. Right. Judgment is complete. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Point. Anything? Any other thoughts on how? I see that God is very merciful in, in uh, considering the things of like common life. You know, your your garments. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably like you were saying, one of the more, more prized possessions. Sure. Your clothing. Mm-hmm. A lot of their clothing came from plundering Egypt, right? You got some Egyptian cotton going on there. It's pricey stuff. God's mercy and and thoughtfulness, even of that, this might be important to them to wear to have clothes. It's a lot of work, and so there's a procedure involved for determining whether or not this is ritually clean or unclean. Good. I also see his his holiness. Sure. That he's he's concerned about being whole. You know, you can't go into the sanctuary if you're not clean. Yeah. In in all these respects. So he's he he cares about it. Fast forward to now today, you know he wants us to be holy as he is holy mm-hmm. as he always has. Mm-hmm. So Christ, we don't have to keep washing and keep burning it out and doing it again and this that and that every time. Right. You see, he did it once for all time. Sure. And sure. Um, and isn't that a picture then of, of of the grace and the thoughtfulness of God to us? that uh, even though we may have blight on the soul, blight on the heart, the, the garments that He's given us are clean. We mess them up. And yet, rather than burn us, there is a... I think a great picture of this is in Second Corinthians. Second um, Corinthians 12. Paul telling the Corinthians about his great vision of the third heaven being caught up and he won't admit he won't cop to the fact that he's the guy but everybody thinks he's the guy that did it even though he says well I know of someone you know, he's being a little coy um, I do not know God knows and then he goes into uh, chapter 12 verse 1 but, but, but then he goes into by verse 5 after talking about this vision of paradise Verse 5, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. I've got the goods, basically. I could, I could talk about myself quite a bit. 
But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, why would that so be there? He's just talking about, I'm refraining from boasting about myself. So, to keep me from being coming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn, an infected spot, a thorn was given me, in, not in his shirt, not in his tunic, but in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the idea. He's clothed. And there's pride in some of the things that he knows. Some of the revelation he's been given in the desert about the Gospel. There's pride there. There's pride that's come in from being caught up into the paradise, even though he won't admit to it. That's A lot of the guys think that that's, that's where he is. So there's something there. Who gave him the thorn? Who's concerned about his pride? It says the messenger of Satan. Is Satan concerned about his pride? Yeah, Paul can't have that. That's crazy. That'd be... No, that's his, that's his warp and woof. Who, who sent the messenger to buffet him about his conceit? God allowed it? I mean, otherwise, that was the thorn given to him, so it wouldn't be. What's the thorn? And now we enter into a 2,000 year debate. <laughs> What's the thorn? Uh, this may seem counterintuitive. But I, I, some people say it was an illness. Some people say it was baldness. You know. Some people say it was blind. He had bad vision. Some people say that it, he couldn't speak very well. He may have had a stuttering problem. Some people say that there was some kind of, you know, uh, from being beaten so many times, there's some kind of physical uh, limitation. Um, I, I gravitate toward the thorn being the very pride that he's bringing out. The pride being displayed and embarrassing to him that he displays it sometimes. That's kind of that's where I land, and maybe I'm just projecting. I don't know, but that's kind of where I land because, and the reason I think that is because he goes into this whole idea of humility right after it. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. In Leviticus, to deal with a thorn in the the the, the shirt. You, you plead two times with the priest. Let me keep this, right? He goes beyond that three times. And what does Christ say? Burn it. Destroy it. You're not worthy anymore. You're unclean. No. He says, I'm enough. I'm sufficient. This thing that keeps plaguing you, I'm sufficient. Go to me. I'm enough. Even in this thing that you're wrestling with, keep fighting it. And he says, 
therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the, the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's humbled me. He's continuing to humble me. I, I want the power of Christ to rest upon me. You have here an infected spot. By all rights, it should be unclean. He should be unclean. By all rights, he should be destroyed. Um, but, Christ says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Notice the present tense. My grace is is sufficient. My power it will be made perfect. Future tense. In weakness. It's not going away. It's a persistent thorn. It's not going away. But there's a promise. I'm enough for you now. There's hope of wholeness. Purity. Being perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. And the process to get him there, this conceited apostle, the process to get him there is weakness. Weakness. That, that it hurts pride. It's done through weakness, our weakness and his strength. We rest in his strength and fight our weakness. In hope of what? In hope of what? Look at Revelation 7. This idea of garment, of clean garment, of white garment, is used throughout Scripture of the saints. 7 verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, no blight, no thorn, no persistent leprous disease, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and, around, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And here's the key. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've been afflicted with thorns. They've been afflicted with blight. They've been afflicted with contempt from their neighbors. These are those coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. How odd. In the blood of the Lamb. How odd. No more thorns. No more infected spots. White. Clean. Washing his blood. It's not persistent anymore. Do you feel the weight of that? 
that persist blight in the heart. We all have them. I do. I'm sure you do. Um, thankfully, we don't have the big screen TVs over our heads that do the judgment thing. We've all got them. And yet, here's the hope. My grace is sufficient for you. You will be made perfect. Right? That's the hope. White robes washed in blood. More could be said. What are your thoughts? Any questions, any comments on that? There's a couple places, uh, more than a couple places in Revelation where he's talking about getting white robes. There's, you know, 15 and 18, I think, are the other two places where that, there's a picture. But in those first seven letters, I know Sardis also mentions there are still a few of you left who haven't soiled your garments. You think you're alive, but you're dead. Come to me, and I will give you, those who conquer, I will give you white robes. It's a call again and again not to be hardened to the grace of my my grace is sufficient for you. Not to be hardened to that. A call again and again to not just wallow in the blight but to fight it and to fight it from a position of strength knowing that it's it's being washed. It is washed in the blood. It's so easy just to say, well, we're in this life given this body this is what I've got to work with and I'll just go ahead and coast. It's not what we're called to do. We're called to discern what is clean and unclean. Yep. I think it will be easy in the culture we live in to kind of look at ourselves and I mean the clothing is what people see on the outside mm-hmm. and so people see the spots but it's real easy to look at other people and go they have a lot more spots than I do mm-hmm. and, and, and live there and go well you know it's not that bad. Right. You know, it's not as bad as you know how stained their garments are. Right. Rather than looking at the perfect spotless garments of Christ and going, "Thank you that you clothed me." Right. Was it Penelope Judd yeah, that, that, uh, that Philip referenced last <laughs> a couple of weeks ago? Actually, it's mine. That's a great song. Um, so that's a, if you haven't listened to that song, it is a great song because it's about a little girl who's covered in mud. And doesn't realize it until she gets to the palace of the prince, and he they hold a mirror, mm-hmm. and then she sees herself, and then she's given his garment. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else?
Okay, let's pray. Father, we hear this stuff about um, being clean and the holiness that you call us to and the light that's shown um, from reading your word on our own hearts and we want to run. We want to look left and right and find the exit because it's uncomfortable to us to think that we're not perfect already. That's pride. Lord, would you break us? Would you remind us by your Spirit that you have redeemed us and are redeeming us? And that the pain and the, and the difficulty of repentance and faith is part of your grace being sufficient for us to get us where you want us to be. The hope we have is being with the innumerable crowd in front of your throne, clothed in white with robes that have been dipped in the blood of the Lamb. That's where we're headed. So would you make us willing to be examined? And to do a right discernment of what is clean and unclean in us. Would you go to the root of the blight that's too often on our hearts? That's persistent, that won't go away, that continues either to grow or just remain. Would you, would you help us to rely upon your grace that is sufficient? in the hope that we will be made perfect. Help us to fight our remaining corruption from the standpoint of you've already won. And we thank you for that. That's rest. That's moving from chaos to order. It's what you did in Genesis and what you called us to do in our lives and in the world around us. Move from chaos to order. Our blight, our thorns, so often cause chaos not only for ourselves but everyone around us. So we pray for right hearts, right discernment, and repentance for our sin and faith in the one who conquered our sin, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's in his name we pray. Amen.